So today we are uh, continuing our journey of learning missional practices, and uh, this series basically been going since I've been here in January, and I want to suggest to you that it will uh, probably keep going as long as I'm a pastor and preaching, because learning missional practices is actually just another way of saying living the Christian life. Uh, so today um, we are going to move from um, having looked at uh, spiritual gifts as we did during Lent and up to Easter, and then we did a series on knowing the story, which is understanding our identity in Christ and understanding the patterns of, of re- really what's the basic Christian story. Then we move to walking and talking with Jesus, which is really about prayer, both listening prayer and spoken prayer. And then now we are going to move on to um, love your neighbor or the art of neighboring. Um, and in this, it's going to be um, wonderfully practical because it's really all about as you anticipate um, things opening up for us more in terms of our, our world, our, our post-COVID world, um, what does it look like then to reestablish or more deeply establish our relationships with our neighbors? And this is, of course, based on um, what's often called the Great Commandment and the... Uh, sorry. The Great Commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. Right? And notice that it's called the great commandment, not the great commandments. Right? These aren't two different commandments. There's not the option of first I'm going to love God, and when I'm completely done loving God, then I'm going to start loving my neighbor. To love God is to love your neighbor. Right? And today we're going to get into, into Matthew 10. Um, for your information, a parallel chapter is, is um, Luke 10. They actually have the same stories in them. And these two um, guidelines from Jesus to his disciples on how to do neighboring strike me as being far more difficult than they actually need to be. So if I were to write Matthew 10 and Luke 10, I would shorten them down to this. Love God by listening to him as fully and as deeply as you possibly can. This series we just completed. And love your neighbor by listening to them as deeply and as fully as you possibly can. However, it is not my job to write the Bible. It is my job to preach the Bible. So we're going to actually look through um, Matthew 10. And you're going to notice again, as I said a few weeks ago, Jesus is a rabbi. So his way of teaching is actually, again, going to stretch us and leave us wondering and thinking and, and possibly a little confused along the way. And that's actually intentional. Right? I have often wondered because my job is to explain the Bible. Why didn't the Bible just come out in a much simpler form where it says, do these five things and you've nailed it, right? But it's a story. It's a story for all time and all places. And so we are talking, um, we are reading words that were first said and written many, many years ago. And we need to understand them for today. And that whole process, as tough as it can be, is actually extremely important because it allows us to recognize that God's way of working in our world requires that Holy Spirit who was first poured out at Pentecost to translate it into our hearts and our minds and our lives and allow us to live this out in its fullest fashion. So first, notice that it starts with what I call a Master's of Ministry degree. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And my question is, how did his disciples earn this Master of Ministry degree? I'll tell you, it's right in the next verse. These are their qualifications. They were called, 
and they were sent. Their qualifications are Jesus saw them, said their name, said, come follow me, and now he says, go on out. Right? So we're in Matthew 10. So far, what the disciples have done to earn their degree and the privilege of having the ability to cast out spirits and to heal people um, is they have walked around following Jesus and they've seen him do that. Alright? So, maybe to translate that to us today, it goes like this. If you have read the gospel, you are now a master of ministry, go on out, Jesus sends you. Alright? So, the verse that I've, I've quoted here is, these are the names of the twelve apostles. Alright, then the names are twelve apostles. Often we call them multiple disciples, same thing. And names means he's named them, and they named them specifically. They don't just say there were 12 of them, like I'm doing right now. He actually names each of them individually. And you'll notice in there that there's a few modifiers. There's Simon, who's actually also called Peter, because he gets renamed the rock, even though for the first part he doesn't look like a rock, he looks a lot more like sand. And then there's the name of uh, Matthew, who's the tax collector. And that's not a good thing. And there's the zealot, yeah, that wasn't a good thing. And then there's Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. So again, just emphasizing the qualifications for having a master's of ministry of being somebody whose name and sent to the world to change lives is that Jesus called your name whatever your life circumstance. You can be a zealot or a tax collector or a betrayer. Um, when God calls your name, that qualifies you. As someone, I think Henry Blackaby once said, God does not call the qualified he qualifies the college. When God has called your name, and if you are a person listening to a sermon on a Sunday morning or whenever you're listening to this, you are a called person. You've been qualified by God in the Spirit. That's Pentecost. Okay, I'm going to go through eight different things we can learn from this story as I, I translate it into a 2021 kind of thought. The first one is, start in your neighborhood. So Jesus said, Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any towns of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. So if you are a strict literalist, you're going to read that and go, Well, I'm not really sure what a Gentile is. I don't know any Samaritans, so that's pretty easy. All right, I've got to go to Israel and look for some sheep. Right? This is just proving we do not read the Bible literally in that kind of a way. Right? We read it for what its truth is. And its truth is, of course, that lost sheep is code for people on the fringes, people on the outside, people whose lives are, are, are messy and off track and live near to us. So he's in, Jesus in Israel saying, look for the lost sheep of Israel. So in other words, look for the people around you whose life has something going on in it that makes them lost or confused, and those are the people you start with. So we're talking about neighboring because all of us live near other people, right? And I'm just going to make this really simple blanket statement. Everybody around you has something lost in their life. I have something lost in my life. You have something lost in your life. So going to the lost sheep of Israel is incredibly easy to figure out. Find other people. All right? We don't need to make this too complex. Listen to the Spirit. Run into whoever you run into on your street and start relationships with them. Go to the lost sheep of Israel. Step one. Question one. Second, know and show that heaven is here. So I have struggled many times to try and figure out, probably because I'm overeducated, what is the simple gospel? And thankfully, this week, in preparation for this sermon, um, a colleague of mine, Kara DeHaan from um, Faith in Burlington, sent me a, a video that talked about what does it mean that the kingdom of heaven has come near. 
right? In fact, that comes. it's also said in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, and um, in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, it says, this is the Gospel of Jesus, and he came and he said, the kingdom of heaven is near. And so the teacher on that, that video, I'm probably going to sound that up this week because it's probably way more clear than what I'm saying right now. The teacher on that video basically said, that is the gospel because basically Mark says, this is what Jesus taught, and he gives us that one line and it captures the gospel. And he goes on to say this, a lot of us think of, of the message of the Bible this way. There, there's the earth here, when you see it on video, they'll actually see a really cool video of this, right? And then I'm on the earth and then there's my timeline of life. Right? And I go along my timeline, and some things I do are, are above the line, they're good. Some things I do are below the line, they're bad. Right? And most people assume this is the gospel, that you are in this world, you live your life, and if you do more things above the line than below the line, you go to heaven. And if you don't, you go to hell. Right? There's only one problem with that understanding. That's called the Bible. The Bible doesn't teach that. All right? So maybe you're saying right now, oh wait, that's kind of what I thought the message was. Let me help you understand the true message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is that in Jesus Christ, the kingdom of heaven, that we think we're going to go to afterlife, is near. And it's here. What Jesus does as being the Son of God who came from heaven, is He actually brings heaven right in here. So you have the earth here, and you think heaven's over here. What Jesus does is He takes that heaven, and He brings it to earth so that when we are in Christ, when our identity is in Christ, as we've been talking about, we actually have heaven in our earthly life right here. And what we are then to um, announce, what we're actually bringing to our neighborhood, is this reality. Jesus Christ has actually brought heaven here. The availability of health and healing and wholeness, of, of good living, of truth, of morality, all that's actually available to us right now by the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. And I hope that gives you some sense of um, peace or confidence in neighboring. We often used to call this evangelism. I'm calling it neighboring because it doesn't sound as scary. We somehow are very scared of that term evangelism. Evangelism simply means this. Proclaim the good news. Or know and show heaven is actually here. Right? Recognize and experience that Jesus has done something in our world. And hopefully you've experienced that Jesus has done something in my life. And in the standing of that confidence, start a conversation with those who live around you, work around you, go to school around you, whoever those people are for you, um, and show that you've experienced that heaven has actually come here. And this is what heaven looks like. Share what you have received. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received freely give. Now again, I really wish Jesus had said, be a really nice person to the person who lives across the street from you. Do not heal the sick and raise the dead and fed and fill with leprosy because that again sounds like that master's degree which most of us feel, I don't have a master's degree. I can't do this stuff. I have to know that um, someone uh, named Emily Vendant has been in this community and preached here and thought about um, healing. And um, she has taught me as well. And if you remember, I didn't hear her message here, but I'm assuming she said something like this. She has received a gift of healing, right? But more importantly, she has received a gift of teaching and leadership such that she can teach you for 20 minutes, pray with you, and actually send you out. And you now actually have the same abilities that she has because Emily doesn't heal, I don't heal, 
Jesus and the Holy Spirit to you. Now, again, I'm pretty pretty much convinced that most people hearing this right now are going, yeah, if you think I'm going to go across the street and pray for healing and raise the dead, um, that's probably not going to happen. Right? So let me start here. I encourage you to start here. Do go across the street. Do find somebody to be a neighbor to. But recognize that the healing that takes place is always the idea of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, because it's His plan. And He will guide you to what kind of healing needs to take place. The healing that might need to first take place is that somebody actually hears somebody come across the street, say hello, how are you, and listen to them. That could be an incredibly healing thing in someone's life. That could actually raise them from the dead, if you will, because if you are living in depression and loneliness, right, and nobody is reaching out to you, that could be a game changer, right? So don't worry about whether or not you're actually going to go across the street and raise the dead on your, on your first conversation. Listen again to what is the Spirit saying in your life, in your neighborhood, in your world, in your conversation, and what is the death or the hell in the life of the people around you, because we all have that in our lives, that they need to have raised and lifted and healed and restored. Now, the key to this is the last little phrase there. Freely you have received, freely give. So again, as I want to summarize this entire series, listen to the Holy Spirit and listen to your neighbor. So as you go across the street, you need to continually pay attention to what is God saying? What have I received? How have I experienced healing and restoration and and new life in my journey? Because that which I have best received, I am most likely and most capable of sharing with others. So when I talk to you about prayer ministry, the reason I am so excited about prayer ministry is because I received healing through that before I became someone who shared it with others and saw them receive healing. So if you have gone through, and many people have experienced this, if you have gone through the loss of somebody important in your life, you suddenly become a whole lot better at understanding what people are going through if they've lost somebody important in their life. If you've gone through um, something very difficult in your life, like a divorce, for example, you become a better person for listening and interacting with those who have gone through or are going through a divorce. Right? And so, what you have freely received by way of healing in your life, Jesus says, that's probably a hint, a guide, to what it is you are meant to freely give as you begin conversations, and deepening relationships with those around you. In case you're keeping track and wondering how far we are, there's eight of these points, so we're on four. Let them help and support you. This is important, and it's counterintuitive to most of us. Most of us want to go into a relationship where we come in and say, I have this for you, right? And most of our ministries uh, across the ages have been about us coming to other places and doing stuff to them and for them and at them, when really the best way to do ministry, and it's it's exemplified over and over again in the Bible, is actually doing it with them, and even more importantly, allowing them to minister to you. So Jesus says it this way, Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. In other words, don't take your wallet. That's what that actually means. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worth his keep. In other words, he's saying, as you go, so he's sending them into, into their community, as you go, expect other people to care for you. That would be hard, wouldn't it? So, 
Um, I have made a point on the uh, circle on which we live, which Ruthann showed you in, in the uh, children's message, right? I'm getting to know our neighbors, right? And there's a couple folks across the way who I've had a couple of conversations with, and we sit down together, right? And one time, I came, and I brought my own drink. And he looked at me and says, don't do that. He was actually upset with me. The only time he said anything even slightly negative to me was when I brought my own drink across the road. He wanted to host me, and it made him feel as if I was demeaning his hospitality when I brought my own drink. Right? And so recognize that one of the biggest gifts you can actually give to somebody else is to let them help you. Right? And, and think about this. is Part of the reason we don't want to go and let people help us is because we love helping people. If you think about that just for a couple seconds, you realize they probably love helping people too. And so if you want to endear them to you, let them actually help you, serve you, host you, care for you. Allow them to bless you as the initial step in being a blessing in your community. seems backwards. It's from Jesus, and it actually is. Number five. Find people of peace. Uh, search there wherever you go for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. And if the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. Again, this is entering by listening to the Spirit, listening to God, listening to Jesus. Right? So when you go somewhere in your community, what you're really basically looking for is who welcomes you? Who, when you say, hey, how are you doing, says, hey, I'm really good, and they start talking with you. Right? This is probably really good news because it's not saying, go find the most difficult person in the world you possibly can find and minister to them. This is saying, go find the person who actually welcomes you in. Right? So again, we are making conversations and relationships on our circle, and um, people on circle, a lot of them already know what I do for a job, which is not always helpful, but it was in this case. One of the conversations we started, one of the people asked me a religious question, and I'm going, well, giddy up, you're actually opening the door to what I want to talk about, right? That is truly a person of peace. This person is also the one who welcomed us the very first day that we came there, right? It wasn't hard for us to figure out this is the house of peace. These are the people who are going, can you please come over? you want to hang out with us? you want to talk? Right? That's where we're starting. We're not going to the people yet who we don't even know their names because we haven't seen them. Right? That's not where we have to stop. Look for a person of peace. When you're saying, I want to begin this journey of connecting with those who live around me, find the person who most likely welcomes you. I probably don't have to hit that point too hard. It seems like the easiest way to go. Expect basic hospitality. That's the other side of that point. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town or shake the dust off your feet. Right? That's the people living with sandals who need your feet washed kind of setting. It's not a shoes and socks culture thing like ours. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Right? And that sounds extremely harsh. The most important part about that line is this. It's not our job to judge. The Bible is really clear about that. They're just basically saying this. If people lack the basic goodwill to welcome somebody who has offered their life to them, that's not on us. Right? Um, one of the most difficult things in this world is the fact that people actually don't want peace and help and love. And they push it away for all kinds of painful and difficult reasons. We're not going to explain all that stuff right now. But the reality is, God has given us the opportunity to connect with all kinds of people of peace and to be loving with them and to connect with them, right? And so when somebody doesn't give basic hospitality, 
right? You may feel free to walk away. In fact, it's not your job to pound your way into their life, to break down their door, and to yell at them the truth that you think they need to hear, right? God, by His Spirit, will lead us to the places that we need to go. Expect basic hospitality, and if it's not there, feel free to walk away for this time. As we write them off forever, it's not your job to judge their eternal destiny. Our job is to say, I'm not welcome there right now. I will go to the person of peace. The person of peace, by the way, will lead you to a look at other people of peace. And then the selling point. Again, it's an embarrassing thing to say, but I've often read the gospel and thought I could give Jesus some really good advice that would help him. And one of them is this is not the way to sell this deal. So here's Jesus' selling point I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. So I need to draw for you an image, a picture of what happens when there's one sheep and many wolves. I won't, because we don't go for that stuff the same way the Bible does. The Bible's much more crass than we are. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes. It's good to see snakes getting upward billing here. Right? Usually the snake is associated with the serpent, which is evil and, and Satan. Here, as shrewd as snake is at least be right, subtle and wise, but also as innocent as doves. In other words, this is going to take a lot of wisdom. Right? Don't think that because I know the names of my neighbors and I've had one conversation with them, all is done. This is about recognizing... You really got to listen. Have I said that yet? You really got to listen to the Spirit. You really got to pay attention to what God is saying. You really got to listen to your neighbors. You really got to pay attention to what they're saying. And you have to use all of that wisdom and the gifts of the Holy Spirit to connect. What's the conversation I'm supposed to have? When's the time for me to ask a tougher question? When's the time for me to um, offer a, a longer listening ear? When's the time for me to actually enter into this person's life and walk on a journey with them? Use all the wisdom God can possibly give you. And then this part, another selling point. Be on your guard. You'll be handed over. You'll be arrested. You'll be flogged when they arrest you. So please do neighboring. And you know you're neighboring when someone lays a beating on you. That's really Jesus' um, invitation to us. And when you get arrested. I don't know how to make that a selling point. I think the key is recognizing this is and can be a pretty tough thing. Now, chances are, if you live in North America, if you live around here where we are, you're probably not going to get arrested. I know we like to sometimes pretend that we as Christians are being persecuted by the government and so on. No, that's just not happening, right? We have all the freedoms you could possibly ask for. You won't be arrested. You won't likely be flogged for sure. Um, but if you stand up to something... Well, here's a couple things that could definitely happen in your neighboring conversations. Someone could say something that's rather racist about indigenous people. It could even be slightly racist. Or about black people. Or about brown people. And that's a good moment for you to find a true to snake, innocent as dove way to say, yeah, I usually use the term indigenous. I don't say Indian because Indian people come from India. You can find a way to just not even point out what they did, but make sure that you respond in a way that uses healthier and more respectful kinds of language. And that might actually lose your position of person of peace with them. That might actually give you a little bit of distancing. Right? 
Um, and being a person who actually stands up for those kinds of truths in this world doesn't automatically make you embrace. But trust, and we'll get to that in the next slide, trust that God will use, if He gives you the nudging, it's time to speak truth. He'll give you the words for that truth. I'm going to jump to the next slide because I'm teaching it. Um, and He'll give you what to say. So, know the story. Ironically, knowing the story isn't about knowing all the answers. The reason we say know the story instead of know the answers is because the Bible is a story, and the Bible, unfortunately, I guess, didn't give us three easy steps to do everything. It gave us a story that gave us this pause to think, how exactly will that work? What does it mean to be true to snakes and listen to doves? What does it mean to depend on the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to truly listen to my neighbor? Knowing the story means I know who I am, I know that Jesus died for me on Good Friday. I know that He rose from the dead so that there is new life on Easter. I know that He, on Ascension, sat on the throne so He's in charge. And I know that He sent His Holy Spirit. And it's not just on Pentecost He sends the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit remains with us, of course. So, as the passage says, I don't need to worry about what to say or how to say it. What's our greatest worry? I don't know what to say or how to say it. Because at that time, you'll be given what to say. And then you know the Holy Spirit's working. If you're out there and suddenly you get, well, you should say this, and then you say it and it works, you know that's the Holy Spirit. For it will not be you speaking. It's the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. The reason we need to lean into the whole story that we have in Jesus Christ all the way up and through Pentecost is because we need to continue to lean into, what does it mean to listen to the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to let the Holy Spirit of God guide me but I know what to say. So I try and practice that sitting right here where I am right now. Um, I use the notes that I have in front of me as my guide. But I regularly try and pay attention to what does Jesus really want me to say to these people today? Sometimes what he says to me is, yeah, you know, you were going to say that, but that's not going to help, don't bother. And other times he says, say this. And because I'm preaching and i got to keep going, I have that much time prove whether I really trust Jesus and His Holy Spirit and to say what He's given me to say in that moment. Right? That's a practice. I get the privilege of doing it formally like this every week. You can do this by regularly in the morning pray, Jesus, who do you want me to connect with today? And when you're in the conversation, pray silently in your mind, Jesus, is there something you want me to say in this relationship today? And then try it. And then try it. Let me say it this way. Do it tentatively. None of us has the corner. None of us has control of what the Holy Spirit does. And sometimes we get messages wrong, and that's okay. Right? So sometimes what we need to simply do is pause, allow that moment to happen where we say, Jesus, Holy Spirit, is there something you need me to say right now? And then say, I think. I think God wants me to say this right now. And it's not a person who understands God or doesn't want that conversation. I just have a feeling I'm supposed to tell you this right now. And you say whatever they want you to say. And then you say, is that okay? How does that sound? And you might just find out. And there's only one way to find out. You might just find out that God just spoke to you. And when that happens, Happens. That's God confirming the kind of person you 
you were called to speak. You took the time to listen. You dared to say it out loud. And God blessed it. And I'm pretty sure that last part's the heart of the sermon because God just did that to me. all the time, and you're here all the time. May we be deeply aware of your presence. May we do at least a few simple practices that keep us aware that you're with us each step of the way. So Lord Jesus, having looked now at Matthew 10 and tried to translate it for who we are today, we pray that we would indeed be bold enough to simply keep listening to what you're saying and how you're prompting us. Stepping out in faith into relationships and seeing what you're saying there as well. Lord, we just pray that again, by the power of your Spirit, stories may be told of the way you have been powerfully at work, raising people from death in our community. This we pray in your holy name. Amen.